Once more, it is What's Involved, and as always, so good to have you along with us. Special guest today, and uh, I was just saying, before we actually started, I was saying to you know, I know, I know of her as a publisher, but uh, never as an author, never crossed my mind for some strange reason. Um, and then I got the latest book, and I went, oh goodness, I now have to read all of them. Who am I talking about? I am talking about none other than Melinda Ferguson. Uh, her latest book called Bamboozled, In Search of Joy in a World Gone Mad. Hello, Melinda. Welcome. Hi, David. Lovely to be here with you. It is so good to have you as well and to chat with you. First and foremost, I need to say, what a book. Um, it's it's quite simply mind-blowing. And yet, you know, it, it's a great story, but it's just so human and it's, it's something that I think you've put into words what many people have, have actually been going through in one way or another. But before we dive into that, tell me a little bit about Melinda. How, where did you grow up? How did you go about? Because as I said, I knew you first as, as a publisher. So let's start right at the very beginning. Okay, I hope we've got lots of time. I'm going to try and keep it brief. I was born in the scintillating town of Ermelo, to be honest. Um, I don't even know what province Ermelo is in anymore. Maybe it's in Pumalanga. Where is it? Anyway, it's a small, God-forsaken town. I was fortunately six months when I left, <laughs> and I went to Joburg. Grew up in Joburg, naughty child, clever child, rebellious. I started smoking, I think, when I was four, drinking when I was nine, um, had a very tumultuous childhood. My mom was an alcoholic. My dad died when we were very little. And I think she just couldn't handle four kids and hit the bottle. And um, I was following suit very quickly. By the time I was in high school, I was a teenage alcoholic. You want all the dirty bits, I think, David. Um, and by the time I got to high, yeah, high school, I was a teenage alcoholic, started smoking dope, got to university, went to UCT, did well, you know, I studied drama, I was one of those little drama queens at university in the state of emergency, so it was also a tumultuous time back then. And then when I was 23, I was offered heroin for the first time. And instead of going, no, no, this is terrible, oh my word, you know, like most normal people would, I went, oh my God, this is the most exciting thing I've ever been offered, let me try. Long story short, I soon became addicted to heroin and crack cocaine. And in my first book, Smacked, which I don't think you've read, and you really should, because that's the really dirty book. <laughs> it's not just about <laughs> it's not just about the dirty bits. Let's be let's be clear on that. But I absolutely should read them because uh going by this one, wow. Yeah, so so smacked, you know, I then became a full-blown heroin and crack addict from being a a hopeful intelligent young woman, I became totally broken. Um, I write about it a lot in my in my first memoir, Smash, but I mean, I landed up on the streets of Hilbra. I was gang raped. I lived with dealers. I lost my two little babies temporarily because of my addiction. I, I, I really went all the way, David. And, and when I finally got clean on a homeless farm in 1999, I literally had the clothes on my back. I had a couple of outfits donated by the church. I had nothing to, you know, I had nothing left. I had literally destroyed my life using drugs. 
My children were gone. My husband had left me for a, for a blonde that he had met in rehab. And I literally crawled on the, on my belly <laughs> back into the world. Um, full of shame, full of regrets. I mean, I think that people don't understand how absolutely, you know, harsh and, and how depressing it is when you've lost every single thing in your life and you have to kind of face the world with all the recrimination, all the judgment and all, but most of all the self-hatred that comes with having absolutely trashed my life. And that was in 1999. Um, do you want to ask me something about that? Because I could just go on for ages. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm happy for you to go on because for me chatting to somebody like yourself and, and somebody who's not afraid to say, look, this is, this is where I've been. This is what I've done. Warts and all. Um, I find that amazing. And it's, it's one of the things, um, that I do and I do on my show, um, is talk about real stuff and real things because all the fluff and marshmallows and pretty clouds in the world, um, it's nice, but you know, nobody that I've come across really lives like that. You know, you can't, you can't believe everything you see on Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And I often think, you know, one of, one of my sayings that I've, I've lived by for a long time is blessed are the cracked for it is they it who is. let in the light. And, you know, uh, as, as, to, to, as, you're speaking to a fellow cracked soul here. So, uh, yeah, no, yeah. I, 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 I'm happy that, uh, that you continue because, um, we, we, we're going to get to the part where you ended up, um, having this massive, uh, vehicle accident. Uh, and then after that, so, so yes, take, yes. Me, take me quickly up to that part and then, uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. So, so as I said, I got clean in September on the 1st of September, 1999, the, the light finally dawned on me that actually I was in trouble. You know, the denial system an addict works with is, 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 is immense. I mean, it's fascinating actually how many lies one can tell oneself and blame everybody else. And that was where I was at before I got clean. When I got clean on this homeless farm, I, I just had to actually wake up to the fact that I'd messed my whole life up and that I'd hurt so many people. Um, more than anybody, I'd hurt myself. But I mean, I had I'd abandoned my two babies as well because I was just a glutton for drugs. And so I crawled out of this terrible situation and one day at a time, one hour at a time, I managed to stay clean and sober. And, 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 you know, that was, I suppose, the miracle that happened to me back then on this farm is the light came and I started looking for possibility rather than for the darkness. And I looked for the light and I turned my back on the, on the, on the, on the, on the hopeless and on the darkness of my soul. And so the slow recovery happened and I started, you know, waitressing, working, trying to collect money. I didn't have a, a rich family that could, you know, sort of support me. And by the time I was sort of five years clean, I, I managed to write my first book, which was called Smacked. And that's the one which is the kind of dark journey of my heroin and crack addiction. And then things, you know, started brightening up. I managed to buy a place. I, I collected money. I saved money. And I started working at True Love Magazine, which um, I spent about 11 years there. And along the road, I decided I wanted to become a motoring journalist. I loved cars. I drove 
cars very late in my life. I was only 33 when I got my license, in fact. And I, I sort of crowned myself the motoring editor of True Love. And for the next few years, I was traveling on the world, going on motoring shows, doing all that stuff. And in 2013, I was given a Ferrari, not forever, just for the day. Um, and I was told, given the keys, I was celebrating my 14 year teen birthday. And I was given this Ferrari, California, a 3.2 million rand car and told, enjoy the car for the day, bring it back by four o'clock. Well, I had the time of my life and at about half past three, I decided I better take it back to Biglietti in, um, William Nickel on William Nickel Drive. Well, what happened then was a God almighty crash. Um, something that I, you know, I still relive that accident in many ways because it was one of those errors of judgment. I mean, if you're in a car like that, um, you shouldn't be making errors of judgment. And I've had to live with that. I overtook a truck that was slow moving. I, I accelerated to about 60 and landed up in a, uh, what do you call it? An intersection, a robot which I hadn't seen had turned red and I landed up being T-boned by a major, huge Pajero. That elicited absolute chaos in my life. I mean, I not only did I have PTSD, but the expense of, of, of smashing up, writing off a 3.2 million Rand Ferrari was actually mind blowing. No one was hurt. Not me, not the people who were driving with me and not the occupants of the other car. But at that point, all I could see was the absolute horror of what I'd done. Long story short, it took about six months to sort the thing out legally. I got a lawyer. I managed to get the company who I was working for to actually pay, which was a miracle. But what I was left with was extreme anxiety. I mean, it got so bad, David, that I actually couldn't stop crying. I mean, I think that people who've had trauma in their lives will relate. Mm. It was as though like my world had collapsed. I was crying all the time. I couldn't sleep. I, I was, I was tormented by the spinning of this car over and over and over again. I booked myself into a clinic for three weeks because I was having a nervous breakdown. Walked out of the clinic with a whole bag of psychiatric meds. I'd been diagnosed with bipolar 2. The psychiatrist had put me on all this medicine. And I'd basically, I mean, you know, when you go to a clinic, you kind of trust the people who are scheduling you into labels um, and drugs. And yeah, I walked out of there now taking these kind of bipolar medication things. Mm, yes, no, being, being down that road, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people pretty much like you. I, um, I discovered that, uh, rock bottom actually has a basement. So yeah. for me, for yeah. me, I felt obliged to go and explore the basement as well. Um, mm. but I, I can relate to, to the PTSD and, and what you were feeling and exactly that. I mean, when, when I was going through my long dark tea time of the soul, Compliments mm. of Douglas Adams. Um, I also, you know, you, you go to these people and you think, okay, I'm going to professionals. Okay. They can tell me mm. what is wrong and how to fix what is wrong. Um, mm. in my experience, though, not so much. 
Not me neither. You know, and I think that I, I want to say this. There are people that have to take psychiatric medication. It makes their lives manageable. And I'm all for that if that's what it, it does for them. For me, I think they misdiagnosed me. I was actually traumatized. I mean, we don't even want to talk about having discovered my boyfriend at the time in bed with a Dutch lesbian. I mean, that's another whole story. Um, but so, I mean, my heart was broken. I had had this major accident and my boyfriend had betrayed me. So there was, you know, enough reason to be crying. And But instead of them really delving into the real things that had happened, they just quickly wanted to put the plaster on. And mm. I landed up after those, you know, after getting out that clinic, my whole life, I suddenly realized I was just like a zombie. The meds were making me so depressed. I was literally work, walking on a kind of like a half a half a cylinder, <laughs> a half a cylinder with no kilowatts or any newton meters. And I, I, I just felt like, is this life? Was I going to now just be the zombie? And fortunately, at the time, I decided to go on Tinder, <laughs> which is like a whole long story as well. <laughs> you know, just as you as you think you like really have hit rock bottom, why don't you look for love? And so I found love on Tinder, and he came in the form of a psychiatrist. But thankfully, this man, who I'm still with, by the way, and he's called Solmat in my new book, Bamboozled, Mm, okay good good yes he he is a maverick psychiatrist who can't stand the farmer cause of this world who who he believes are just scheduling people who are just putting people onto meds that it's just the easy way to get out of actually having to engage so he got me off the meds he took me quietly and slowly off his bloody pills and um, by about January 2015, in love with my German psychiatrist and off the meds, he, he suggested to me that I should try and go on a psychedelic journey in the, with the name of psilocybin, which is otherwise known as magic mushrooms, to try and address my PTSD and anxiety. And on that note, Melinda, I'm going to say to you, we'll be back in just a little bit, because I want to talk about this, because this is something near and dear to my heart. Uh, and okay. I, I, I kind of feel like reading the book, uh, you, you know, you'd been reading my mail. But anyway, let's, uh, let's, when we get back, we'll, we'll get more into that. It is what's involved. My special guest is Melinda Ferguson, uh, her latest book called Bamboozled. We'll be back in just a bit. And we're back with my special guest, Melinda Ferguson, talking about her latest book, Bamboozled. So just before the break, um, you were saying that, uh, and, and this I find most interesting, your, your, your maverick psychiatrist, the soulmate, said you should try psychedelics in the form of psilocybin. Now, immediately, there's going to be people that are going to go, you want to do what? Yeah, exactly. Considering where you've been and you've managed to mm. eventually turn yourself into a human being now, and now you want to go back there. And this is just another excuse. He says, talking in the third person, but never mind. Uh, mm. What happened? Tell me about it. Oh, you've just expressed that 
that self-doubt that I had so well. You know, when he first said to me, do this, I went, are you insane? Haven't you read my first book? I put it next to the bedside table. I mean, you know where I've come from. Why would I want to go and take drugs? It, at that stage in my life, I knew nothing about psychedelics in the form of how they are presently being seen in our world as as really effective ways to do deep healing. I was horrified. I told him no. And, you know, he, he carried on just subtly saying to me, I think these things are going to work. Then I met this, and I call her my spiritual mother, and I call her also the mother of mushrooms in South Africa, and her name was her name is Monica Cromholt. And you know how synchronicity happens, David, where you you meet someone and there's just something in your heart that gets loosened. Mm. And she was so wonderful, kind, gentle, loving in my interview that I did with her for City Press, because I mean, there's a long story. She had been arrested for having magic mushrooms in her house during a Soma. It's called Soma Ceremony. And, and, and so I did a story on her. And after that interview, this, this little door sort of started opening and said, maybe you must read up about this stuff. A lot of research I did before I, I decided to go on my first journey. I read about the John Hopkins uh, University's absolutely brilliant results with people who, who suffered from anxiety and depression. I read many papers that well-respected psychiatrists, well-respected neuroscientists were delivering, which were saying that psychedelics, especially in the form of psilocybin, were having amazing results. So backed by science, because you know science is the big word, especially in lockdown, um, backed by all the scientific evidence, um, I started thinking maybe I must do this. And then the big the thing that really changed my mind was when I discovered that Bill W., the, the man who had created the Alcoholics Anonymous program, the 12-step program, he himself, when he was in recovery, when he was sober, he had also lacked a kind of spiritual meaning in his life, and he had embarked on work with LSD back in the late 50s. And, you know, David, I thought to myself, if Bill W., my absolute hero, could actually do this, then why can't little old me also venture into this area that I was so afraid of? And mm. that's how I went on my first journey. Now, in terms of this, because I'll, I'll relate a little bit of, of my story as well, but in terms of this um once you'd done all the research and, and you say you went on your journey. So this was a facilitated sort of process yes. that you went for. You didn't, you know, meet somebody no. on, the, on, on the corner of the street <laughs> and go, hey, listen, but give me, I don't know, does it yeah. come in pounds, grams, kilograms, whatever? No, it comes in grams. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, it comes I, in grams. I know that <laughs> now. <laughs> but I'm saying... That. I'm saying, yeah. you know, that, that you, you, this was a proper <laughs> ceremony. Now, I, I remember for myself the first time that uh, I did uh, a mushroom journey as well is oh, wow. there was, Beautiful. Oh, yeah, huh? yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I've been a, I've been a bit of a, a wanderer. I've, I've often been referred to as somewhat of a fringe dweller. So I like that. Um, mm -hmm. but the first time I took some that, 
that, that, that part of me that is the sort of addictive wild child personality was screaming, are you insane? Why are you doing this? This is just another excuse. You shouldn't do this. And then it was like, oh, goodness me, but what happens? You know, I, I've now taken this stuff because I'm a big control freak. Uh, and I'm, I'm like not in control. And, you know, somebody's going to launch some of these dark festering pools in me and all of the stuff is going to come flooding out. Um, yeah. so I, I was terrified going into it. Um, and even sort of when I felt it kicking in, I was like, uh-oh. Um, and that's the thing, though, about psilocybin and magic mushrooms is um, you can't fight it. Once it's, once it's there, it's there. And the best thing to do is to relax into it. How did it work out for you? You've said it so brilliantly. I mean, I was, I write about it in Bamboozled. I mean, if I could have run out of that room and it was a very safe space and I would only ever, ever advise people to do it with like trusted and, 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 and responsible and watchers, we like to call them, and mm. people that know what they're doing, where you're safe and you're not just going and having a couple of shrooms on your own, because that's not at all what I was doing. I was doing this to get in touch with my wounds. And um, so when I finally took the five grams, which is the therapeutic dose, yeah, you know, I was so scared that it took about an hour for me to go over. And when I say go over, I meant through the doors, you know, the doors that mm. Aldous Huxley writes of, maybe Jim Morrison, you know, the way the doors were. Jim Morrison speaks a lot about, you know, his 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 work, or maybe he was just getting tripping out there, but who knows? I I was so resistant, control freak completely, you know. And finally, I write about this in the book as though it felt like I suddenly became Buzz Lightyear <laughs> and, I, and, and I whooshed through this veil of dreck that had been part of my life for so long. And on the other side, it's very hard to describe what, what goes on in a psilocybin journey. But on the other side was a universe, a multiverse, something so magnificent where I became completely connected was who I really was, where my ego was put to the side, where all the lies that I told myself about myself were, were, were destroyed really in that one night. And what I really realized about four hours or five hours later when I came back to planet Earth, <laughs> when I came back to planet Earth, I realized that the huge lie that had been told about this particular um, substance, and I don't want to call it a drug because I, I think it's a medicine. Oh yes, um, absolutely, absolutely. It's a medicine. So. And, and and what it the lie that had been told, you know, in the war of we're war on drugs, the supposed magnificent war on drugs to keep all of us safe, which is, has been a big lie, really. And um, that this this substance can sit beside heroin and meth on the scheduling table is just the most absurd idea. There was no part of me that wanted more. There was no part of me that had any craving. In fact, the exact opposite had happened. I was full. I was calm. I had peace, peace beyond understanding. The, 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 the kind of phrase they use often in the Bible, they use often in the Bible. I think it's only once in the Bible where they say, you will get a peace beyond all understanding. Well, that's what I got. 
And that, David, made me realize that something really special had happened. And so over the past seven years, I've probably taken journeys maybe twice or three times a year. I've always been very specific about when I want to take a go and do a journey because this stuff is hard. It's not just about having fun. Uh, I mean, absolutely. I, I, w- I would love to discuss this in depth with you because, I, I mean, what I've discovered in, in the work that I've been doing is that we are shown our wounds. We've shown the darker side of ourselves the pain we've maybe caused ourselves and the pain we've caused other people, the lies we tell ourselves as human beings. These are profound and incredible um, lessons that you cannot, I believe, get through sitting one-on-one with a, with, a, with a therapist because we always are filtering what we say in the real world. We never really get to the bottom of our souls. Um, well, I don't think we do. Unless yeah. we've actually, in a way, led through the doors that are are beyond our own understanding. Yeah, you know, I I, I look at it as, as as literally, you know, the process of the ceremony and of taking um, the medicine is is it does it takes the the ego part of you, the the, the you you think you are, and it just yes. gently it gently sits it on one side and says, all right, let's have a chat. We're going to chat yes. more, though. My special guest is Melinda Ferguson. We chat, uh, we are chatting about her latest book, Bamboozle. This is what's involved. We'll be back in just a bit. And we're back. It is what's involved. Melinda Ferguson, my special guest. Um, we're talking about um, your journey and and how um, you have experienced uh, the the sacred ceremonies and you've experienced what psilocybin did. And, and what I wanted to just touch on before we carry on is in most people's experience that I've come across um, that, have, that have used mushrooms in a therapeutic way. Um, it is, it's work, okay? It's not something that you go, well, this weekend, I'm going to go and, you know, suck back a couple of grams of mushrooms and I'm going to have a whale of a time. For me, every single time, it's work. And it's not just work while you are, are going through that journey because afterwards there's so much stuff that still happens and, and you, you've got to assimilate so much stuff because whilst you're going on the journey, stuff is happening at literally the speed of thought um, and sometimes even faster than that. Uh, so that is, that is my experience. But how did that first journey lead into this this this? place where you are now because you said you've taken it a couple of times but i mean did it help how much did it help pandemic then came and slapped us all upside the head where where was melinda during this sure i was really struggling with the lockdown i mean i had so many questions a lot of the lockdown made no sense to me we had so many different people telling us what was going on I lost a lot of faith in what was being told to us. And it was also very difficult, David, to actually voice one's confusion or voice one's disagreement on things like social media. Because if you said things like, um, we acting like a bunch of sheep, wow, 
I got lambasted so many times. I mean, I happen to think that Djokovic was correct when he went into Australia because he got permission from the Australian Open people to come in unvaccinated. I mean, I don't even want to say the word vaccine at the moment, but I, there I've said it. <laughs> and, um, you know, I put up something on Facebook like, go Djokovic, and my own brother, my own brother then put up pictures of Serbian genocide and saying that Djokovic was a Serbian, a supporter of the Serbian genocide. Joe Rogan was lambasted. I mean, anyone who was saying, let's have a discussion, doctors like Robert Malone, it, it really terrified me that during lockdown, it felt like we were being mass manipulated. And it seemed like people were all in a way, not everybody, but most people seem to be going along with whatever they were telling us. So I went through a lot of trauma and and I, on my own, because we couldn't do any journeys during that time with psilocybin because we weren't allowed to be in the same room with each other and everyone was wearing masks. I landed up taking twice during lockdown. I did journeys on my own linked with Zoom <laughs> Zoom travelers, we did journeys on Zoom. You know, I mean, it was insane. Like everybody was linked from their home onto a Zoom screen. And there we just took our own sacrament and, and we did stuff in our own homes. But those journeys, oh my God. I mean, there was one that I write about where I'm showing the suffering of the world. And it's a very dark journey that I go on that night where I see famine, plague, suffering of the human race from the very beginning of time. It was one of those epic kind of biblical journeys where I really got to the, the feeling at the end of this five hours that I was deep down in the, in the bottom of my soul, I came out of that journey and I had a very strong sense and I even actually, it sounds like I'm crazy, but I heard a very, a very deep voice say to me, the age of money is over. All that is left is your search for joy and freedom. And that, David, was a, a, a major turning point in the way that I saw lockdown. I started going inwards and I started realizing like, whatever we do now, we need to be free in our heads. We need to find a way to, to, to find joy again, because joy seemed to be as precious as oil or gold. We were all, I think, deeply depressed. I mean, there were some people, I don't think they even cared, and I think they enjoyed lockdown, but I mean, Halle, you know, goodie for you, I didn't. And I could not handle the suffering and the broken economies and the starving and the poverty that this thing in all its irrational, irrationality was causing on our planet. Mm. It's it's amazing because before before we went into to the COVID thing and the lockdown and everything, I, I was saying very often on my show, um, you know, that I'm sensing there's a change in the world. People are becoming more aware. People are mm. becoming more focused on, you know, the stuff that counts. And then lockdown happened and there was i i was i was right in there i mean uh, to this to now recently i just just to remind myself i got a, a t-shirt that said please do not feed the fears um because yeah. i was i was caught in that and uh, in in lockdown um i hit a wall i hit an absolute 
wall because now there's mm. nothing you can do. There was no way to hide. Um, and it was, it was both terrifying to me, but at the end of the day, um, I think more good will come out of it. And, and I don't want to get into the debate of should we vaccinated, not vaccinated, this, that, mm. the next mm. thing. Um, I, I want to look for, for the silver lining. Now, your silver lining was finding a beautiful home and then getting smacked upside the head <laughs> by the universe just because. Yeah, just because. So, I mean, I had somehow been one of the few lucky people. Well, I suppose there were quite a lot who worked for Amazon and all the big tech companies. But I had amazingly been paid money that was owed to me and fortuitously, it all started getting paid back to me during the first year of lockdown. So I kept on just seeing my bank account going ping, ping. And while everybody was like losing jobs, I was getting paid for this money that was, in fact, owed to me. By the end of that year, just before I did the, the pain of the world journey, I thought to myself, this money I thought was lost. So let me just do something that is really something I want to do with it. And I started looking for houses. Well, I'd always been looking for houses. But during this lockdown, I really felt like escaping from Cape Town. I mean, Cape Town is where everyone from Joburg escapes to, but I needed to get out of Cape Town. <laughs> the, the, the discrepancy of, of poverty and those who were suffering, I just could not handle this, this city. And there was a lot of... Um, a lot of kind of police manning things. And I felt like I was in The Handmaid's Bloody Tale. So I went and I found a cabin in the middle of nowhere in the Matrusberg Mountains, and I bought it. Got a bond, not a big bond. I, man I managed to pay quite a substantial amount of this, uh, of, of, the, of this house. And three days before it gets registered, a woman is murdered two doors away from me where I thought I'd found my place of safety and freedom and my heaven from the lockdown. I suddenly was faced with being absolutely devastated that this beautiful woman who I'd never met, but who lived two doors away from me had been brutally murdered one night and now I owned this house. <laughs> so it was a bit of a mind I won't swear on your on your podcast, but I will say it was a bamboozlement of notes. Yes, it, it, I can only imagine, Melinda. Um, we, we, as always. I mean, I, I ran out of time. I wish I could talk longer to to my guests, but um, when we come back, uh, let's uh, look at wrapping it up and uh, putting a bow on it for this time. But I just, you know what? Let's 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 make an excuse, and, and I'm going to say to Gina, I now feel obliged to read the other books. And then we can talk again. You see, it's all part of the plot. Uh, this is what's involved. My special guest is Melinda Ferguson. It's an amazing book. I, I, I now say, yeah, you've got to read the others. But Bamboozled is just a brilliantly written book. And, and it's literally the bearing of, of one's soul and one's experiences. We'll be back wrapping it up with Melinda in just a bit. And we're back. What's involved? It is my special guest is Melinda Ferguson talking about uh, her latest book, Bamboozled. So, Melinda, just before the break, we, we said that you'd, you'd sort of gotten this beautiful idyllic cabin and then the woman two doors down uh, from you was, was murdered. And that obviously brought up all sorts of bits and pieces. How did you deal with that? I mean, 
It's again, you know, I, I refer back to don't feed the fears, but, but where were you in this? I mean, I must say that working with psilocybin really had, re and I'm talking about the last seven years, had really helped me with things like this because I think that fear in many ways is an illusion. Um, there's a lovely acronym. Fear stands for false evidence appearing real. And I think fear is a state of mind. And it was very evident to me that fear was being fed to us on major levels during lockdown. Maybe not intentionally, you know, who knows, but we were all crippled by the fear that was happening. Where are we going to die? There was this virus going around, fear for the future, fear for our family, fear, 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 fear. And uh, I realized that with this terrible fear that I'd now inherited, uh, from this woman being murdered quite, you know, just around the, around the block from me. And that it was now up to me to start to really working on this in my mind. So I, I, I strangely have always done this, David. I've, I've, I've used tragedy. I've used disaster as an opportunity to conquer that which is hard. And so I used this opportunity of this poor woman dying as a way to actually address my deep fear about death about our planet, about the future. And slowly, you know, I just started finding my heartbeat a bit slower. I started realizing that the possibilities of it happening again were very slim. I started realizing, you know what, death is what happens to all of us. If I'm going to be murdered in the middle of nowhere, well, so be it. I know that's quite a hectic thing to say, but it was, it gave me peace to accept my own mortality. And in a way, I think her dying was calling on me to understand that life and death are all part of the same cycle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, it's amazing when you said that, and let's get back to the fear thing, false evidence appearing real. Now, mm. my, my mentor um, and, and possibly one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met, sadly passed away a little while ago, uh, he was a guy by the name of David Patient. He was one of the longest surviving people in the world with HIV. Wow. Um, and, and he used to often say to me, it's either false evidence appearing real or face everything and recover or the F word, everything and run. And he said, the problem with, with, with wow. becoming, the, the problem with becoming more conscious is then you realize you're a choice. So what are you going to choose to do? And I was like, oh, um, um, I'd, I'd like to go with number three, but I guess number one or two is what I need to do. So um, just just doing that. And, and fear is such a massive thing, and, and especially in our country. Um, that's why, oh. to my mind, we have, we have the problems we still have today. Um, it's based on fear. And, and, yeah. and as soon as we can manage to step aside from that fear and see each other as human beings, um, and that's the other thing I could talk about for hours, the, the difference between a human being and a human doing, um, mm. the, the, the better it is for all of us. Now, you, you came to realize that, and there's a part as well where you talk about the money issue, because so many of us are motivated by money, and we make our, we, we make our value judgments and, and societal judgments and everything about money. How much do I have? How much can I get hold of? And that then means that because I've got more, I am better. And that's yeah. not necessarily true. 
It is so not true. And I've had to be, I've been faced with this lesson for so much of my life. I mean, I came from a home where my mother had a really a, a, a widow's mentality after our dad died. And so she counted every penny and she made us very scared financially. Um, and I inherited that. And my a lot of my life has been looking for abundance. And of course, one thinks that if one has enough money, you're going to feel abundance, but that's not the truth. Abundance is a mental state. Again, it's, it's about having enough within and being enough as a human being in order to be full. And it is about fullness of spirit. But of course, we also need money in this world. So I think it's all about balance in the end, because I'm not trying to say, oh, you don't need money, because if you don't have money, you are thrown to be a, a way to be a cast off and a, a person uh, in great suffering on this planet. Mm. So I think it's this beautiful combination of knowing that money gives you freedom on a certain level, but that if you don't do the inner work, you will be as empty and as poor as a beggar. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the amazing thing for me personally, if I, if I take a step back and have a look, is with me in my life, the harder I fought for money and the more mm. I valued money and wanted money, the harder it was. It was like trying to, trying to grip and hold water. Um, exactly. It just, it just wouldn't happen. And, and I would literally rise to the level of my own insecurities. And as soon as I started to do well at, at something, then the, the, the old uh, programming would kick in. And I'm like, oh, but remember the watches are never going to be rich. The watches are destined yeah. to suffer. And what would yeah. I do? I would sabotage it. These days, um, I don't worry as much about money. Sure, there are concerns. But I always, and I actually was, was speaking to my fiance just a little while ago about this, is there's this miracle of we always have enough. There's, there's always enough. Business will come through at the last moment. Yeah. Things will happen where we've got enough, and that is enough. Um, I don't necessarily want or need more. So um, I think that is an amazing, amazing uh, place to be able to be in. And the fact that your journey has, has led you to where you are today, I think is yeah. it's it's inspirational. And I'm glad that you've had the courage to share the journey because, you know, it's not all bells and whistles. Not everybody's a Tony Robbins and you can just say, yes, I can, <laughs> and all sorts of things like that. Um, because I also got very disillusioned with all of these self-help gurus at some stage. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, dude, I don't hear the, 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 the nitty gritty, the, no. the, 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 the sort of lying flat on your face and, 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 you know, hoping that something is going to happen or that you, you don't hear that. And that's what I want to know. I want to know other people have been where I am or where I've been and they have managed to, those are the people that, that I would look up to. Uh, Melinda, before we say goodbye, a couple of things, okay? So during this process and where you are now in your life, what have you learned? Is there, is there hope for us? Is there hope for humanity? Oh, gosh. You know, some days I think we, yes. And then other days when I see the new British Prime Minister saying she would definitely push the nuclear button if, if asked to, I think, oh, my word, our world is in a terrible, terrible terrible crisis. But we as human beings, each one of us are incredibly strong. And I think that if we can all try and focus on 
developing our own selves in order to be better people. Surely we will have the power to be able to overcome the darkness. And so I'm a big proponent of, of becoming and trying to spread light and, and alerting people to the darkness that we're in. Because I think that to pretend that we're not in a dark time is very myopic. But we have, as I've experienced in my life, we have the amazing ability to transform. And that's the magic of being human. And we can transform our thoughts. We can transform our situations, our circumstances. We need to believe that we can. And that is the big thing. And I think that if anything I've been, you know, taught over the last two years is literally it all happens in our heads and we've got to just get our heads sorted out. Absolutely. And on that note, Melinda, the, the, the book Bamboozled, do yourself a favor, just get the others as well, but Bamboozled <laughs> specifically, In Search of Joy in a World Gone Mad, um, we haven't even gotten onto the doggy story. Though. Onto the dog. Because oh, my God, I rescued a dog. I mean, he was a puppy. And, and I'll just say this quickly to end it on a high note, is this little boy who came to my life has taught me more about myself, about being a mother, about being a nurturing, kind human being than any other human being has ever taught me. I thought I rescued Joe, but Joe ended up rescuing me. Yeah. And you know what? There's so many stories like that. I, without the, the two dogs uh, that I had, and, and the older one was a, a Ridgeback Cross Alsatian. Her name is Jasmine. Uh, she passed away a little while ago, but I promise you, her and the little Jack Russell, Daisy, who's lying next to me as I'm chatting to you now, yes. um, they literally, and I mean quite literally, have saved my life on more than one occasion. And when things were darkest and I was trying to look for some joy, they were where I started. So they rescued me right back as well. Belinda, the book available, all good bookstores and online? Exactly. All good bookstores, also on Take-A-Lot and on Amazon for South African listeners. Um, it's only available in Southern African territories as an ebook. Okay, perfect. But listen, I mean, I'm an ebook fan, but I'm a more of a real book fan as in, you know, there's something about having a book and reading a genuine book. So go out and get it. Um, last question for you, Melinda. What's next in Melinda Ferguson's life? Well, you know, as you know, I'm a publisher, so I am publishing a storm of books. I've got an amazing book coming out called Samurai Sword Murder about Mornay Haram. So that's coming up next. Um, I've got a whole bunch of books planned for next year. Of course, I want to carry on writing. Writing is what I really love doing. And who knows, maybe in another three years, I'll have another memoir. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out and having a chat to us. Uh, we wish you all the very best. And uh, what, a, what a great story and what a fascinating life you've led. Thank you, David. There we go. Wraps it up for this edition of What's Involved. My special guest there was Melinda Ferguson. The book is Bamboozled, In Search of Joy in a World Gone Mad. Go out, get it, read it. It will definitely uh, resonate with you on some level. As I said, it wraps it up. To each and every one of you, look after yourselves, take care, and thank you for listening.